0: Good morning. good morning. I know I'm soft-spoken, so if we need to if we need to amp it up, we can do that. I'll just I'll just get used to it. Well, brothers and sisters, it's good to be it's good to be with you. Um, for For those of you who are in Sunday school, you know exactly where we're headed. We're going to be talking about Jesus walking on the water. Um, I don't know if there's a miracle more, uh, more well-known. We have That's a phrase in our culture, right? Oh, he thinks he walks on water. Right, we've heard that. Of course, what it means is this person thinks they're so good. They're like God. They're like Jesus. Yeah. But we're going to talk about the real story today. Um, let's let's uh, open with a word of prayer and, and jump in. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you, Lord, for your word that teaches us. But Father, these aren't just stories, they're, they're history. And they teach us about, about when you came to be with us in, in Jesus. They teach us about the, the brothers and sisters that were around Jesus that you called to be disciples. Father, help us to follow, help us to imitate, help us to do likewise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're going to be in chapter 14 of Matthew this morning. We're really just focusing on a, a few verses, uh, 22 through 33 of chapter 14. And this happens, last, and last week Brother Kevin spoke about the, uh, the feeding of the 5,000. This comes immediately after that in the text and in the narrative, um, just exactly after that. So let's, uh, let's open by reading the actual text here. And said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to him oh you of little faith why did you doubt and when they got into the boat the wind ceased this is the word of the lord to god. and i had one more verse and those in the boat worshiped him saying truly you are the son of god this is the word of the lord the old page break trick else, sir, i think we're good for now That may not be my last error of the day, but at least we got the first one out of the way. So, my outline today—I want to—I want to share with you in advance, so you can kind of see where I'm headed. Quiet time with God is worth canceling miracles for, right? That's how important it is. Canceling God or quiet time with God is worth canceling miracles for. Two, I've got four points today, so bonus time. Yeah, you're welcome. Jesus sends us into trouble. That's point two. Jesus sends us into trouble. Strange thing. Point three, bold trust in Jesus is blessed by Jesus. And then point four, Jesus deserves our worship. So let's jump in. The first one, quiet time with God is worth canceling miracles for. So remember the context here. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school, but uh, in case... In case you weren't there, the context here is this is just after the feeding of the 5,000. But the context of the feeding of the 5,000 was just after Jesus and the disciples had received some really bad news. Herod had had John the Baptist, who was also Jesus' cousin, executed, beheaded. And if you know the story, it's it's horrific. It was, uh, he wasn't really even killed for anything important. It was... uh, It was Herod making a brag in his house. And when he got called on the brag, he couldn't be be embarrassed. So he killed John the Baptist for nothing. Um, Remember that John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin? And some of Jesus' disciples had been John the Baptist's disciples. So this wasn't a stranger that we read about in the news. This was a person that they were close to. So they got this news. He had been executed. And when Jesus got that news, what did he do? He got in a boat, went across the water, and tried to get away from the crowds to get time alone with God. This is, this is before the feeding of the 5,000. And what did the crowds do? They said, there he is. Follow him. Go. Let's go. They chased him around as he was sailing across on the boat. They chased him around the shore, and they met him on the beach. So Jesus, hoping for quiet time, runs into the crowd. And that's the setup for last week's message about the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus went to them, and he started doing healings and talking to them. And then when it got late in the day and they needed to be fed, that was the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus has already been interrupted. Now, after the 5,000, setting us up for today, what happened? They said, wow, this guy can feed 5,000 people. He should be king, right? He should be king. And that's when Jesus said, okay, this party's over. We're we're done. That's not the conversation I'm looking for. Disciples, you get in the boat and you go. I'm going up on the mountain. Goodbye crowds. So he dismisses the crowd. He sends the disciples on the boat and he goes up the mountain. That's where we are. Um, So Jesus had allowed the crowd to interrupt his plan for prayer time, right? Now he interrupted their mob excitement. For revolution, He sent the disciples on a boat, and He headed for the hills. And we see this repeatedly in the Gospel. Jesus, the Son of God, who's one with the Father, who has the power to do miracles with a touch or with a command, and He has supernatural knowledge of the hearts of people. Even this Jesus, with all these abilities and all this connection, He still takes time to go and have quiet time with God and pray. That's, that is the behavior that we see Our Jesus doing. Remarkable. So dare we say that he needed that time? I don't know. But he wanted it. And he made sure that it happened. So what did Jesus do in his ministry? What was Jesus' ministry like? Oh, he healed. He preached. He drove out demons. He saved a wedding. He fed a hungry crowd. All these were good and valuable things. And his time was limited on this earth. He only had time for so many miracles. Time spent praying was time away from miracles, was time away from ministering and serving the people. Think about that. When Jesus went off to pray, demons weren't getting driven out. Lame people weren't walking. And you know what? It was still worth it. That was Jesus' decision about how to prioritize his time. Our principles, our quiet time with God is worth canceling miracles for. That's what Jesus shows us. Are you busy caring for others? That's good. Are you doing spiritual work for the church? That is good. Are you working hard to be a good employee and be successful in your work? That's good. Are you too busy to pray? That's not good. Not good. And brothers and sisters, believe me, I'm preaching to myself here. This isn't self-righteous kin telling you how it ought to be for you because I've got it squared away. No, I get busy too. I have a hard time with this. Jesus was the unique and divine Son of God, special in all of history. And he was the perfect model of how a human should live their life. And the way that Jesus did this is he took time to go and pray with the Father. Rodney sent us an article this week, a couple of us, about margin time. That's a, a term that some people use for time that, that isn't scheduled and pressed into your schedule. So time that you, can, that you can relax a little bit, that you can recover from the, the stress of the things you have to do. For rest, creativity. Um, and sometimes we need to be intentional about that margin time. And I would ask too, is your prayer time... A part of your punch list that makes you feel busy? Or is it part of your margin time that is restoring and restful? And if it's not, if it's part of your punch list, I would encourage you to pray. God, help me move it. Help me move it to the, to the restful time, to the margin time, to the time I want to have. God can change your attitude. You may not already be there. That's okay. God can change your attitude. So what else do we see here in this lesson? Jesus sends us into trouble. Strange and counterintuitive here. Before Jesus went to pray, he sent his disciples in the boat back across the lake. It was already the end of the day at this time. They rowed out into the the lake, R-O-W-E-D, and the wind came up. Too bad Jesus didn't realize there was a storm coming. But wait a minute. What am I saying? Jesus knows everything. He knew the wind was coming. He sent them into it anyway. Let's realize that. This wasn't random and it wasn't a surprise. Why would Jesus do such a thing? Surely our Savior would not send his disciples into danger. Well, let me, let me read to you a, a little passage from a book by Warren Weersby that I found really helpful in thinking about this. Weersby says, Did Jesus know that a storm was coming? Of course. Then why did he deliberately send his friends into danger? Quite the opposite is true. He was rescuing them from greater danger, the danger of being swept along by a fanatical crowd. But there was another reason for that storm. The Lord has to balance our lives. Otherwise, we will become proud and then fall. The disciples had experienced great joy in being part of a thrilling miracle. Now they had to face a storm and learn to trust the Lord more. The feeding of the 5,000 was the lesson, but the storm was the examination after the lesson. Sometimes we're caught in a storm because we have disobeyed the Lord. Jonah is a good example. But sometimes the storm comes because we have obeyed the Lord. When that happens, we can be sure that our Savior will pray for us, come to us, and deliver us. Think of it this way. So that's, that's Wiersbe's quote. Really good, I thought. So think of it this way. Were they really in danger out there on the water? Now, they felt like it for sure. If Jesus knew what he was doing when he sent them, he knew the conditions, he knew he would come to them. Of course, they felt like they were in danger, but Jesus was in control the whole time. He had taken them out of a situation with the crowd that could tempt them into worldly politics and keep them away from God's plan and put them on a boat in the middle of a storm. To keep them safe. Put them on a boat in the middle of a storm to keep them safe. But then what? Well, of course, he walked out to meet them and finished the trip with them. No big deal. Except the lake's over 100 feet deep and there really aren't any shallow places. But Jesus, the master of creation, simply walked on the water as if it was a sidewalk. That was part of his plan. Now, this is interesting because the, the miracles he'd done before had a purpose, usually to heal or protect or, or cleanse or some, some useful purpose. But this one just kind of looks like showing off, right? And I kind of think that's exactly what it is. Not out of pride, but, but to communicate to the disciples something. And what else is interesting is that this was just for the disciples. This wasn't a public miracle. Right. It was a private one. He had just done a big public one. Now it was a private one with the disciples. They're struggling to move this boat against the wind and the waves. Scriptures tell us it was in the fourth watch, which by the math, that's somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. So the dead of night, they've been up all day, and now they're battling the wind and the waves with the boat. He just walked out to them. That stuff didn't matter. Remember, he had let them participate in the feeding of the 5,000. They followed his instructions in obedience, and they had been part of the miracle. They didn't do anything wrong at all, but now Jesus is reminding them, You depend on me completely. He had the power, they needed him. So, what we learn from this, we're never out of his control or ability to deliver. Have you ever had a spiritual success followed by what seemed like a crash? Did you ever wonder why God decided to punish you when you thought you were being faithful? Maybe it wasn't punishment. Maybe it was the exam after the lesson, right? Maybe he wanted to test you to point you more surely to him. Sometimes it can be hard to tell the difference. Sometimes he sends us into a storm like Jonah to wake us up. Sometimes he sends us into a storm like the disciples to confirm our trust in him. When you find yourself in a hard spot, will you call on him like they did? Will you ask him for his help, whether it is correction or confirmation? He wants you to come to him either way. And either way, he allowed you to be there. Whatever your circumstance is, he did allow it. And he has the power to deliver you. Let's take a minute to talk about Peter's, Peter's short walk. Now we come to Peter, I love, I love, love, love Peter. He's relatable, isn't he? He's the the real deal. Uh, And and the thing about Peter is that he is a what you see is what you get kind of person, right? There's there's really no, he's not hiding, he's not playing games, he's not finding angles. Just what he he says is what he's thinking, and you know where he stands. Whether that's a profound truth, because sometimes it is. Or something's foolish, because sometimes it's that. But Peter's out there. And sometimes I think we need to remind ourselves. I know I need to remind myself. When we talk about Peter, we're not talking about a character in a story. Right? I mean, we can do a character study of Peter. That would be a valid thing to do. But we are talking about a brother in Christ that we have not met yet, but we hope to. Right? He's a real guy. And this particular brother's bones are buried in Rome. Because why? That's where he was crucified. For his faith. So whatever we look at in this episode, and whatever weaknesses of faith we might see, know that not too far away, he's going to die for that faith. It's not going to fail. It's not going to fail. So he is not comic relief. He's a true hero of the faith. He is one of the great cloud of witnesses that we can look up to. But at this point in his life, he's still learning. Let me read the text here. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So listen to Peter's heart here. Listen to his heart. Lord, command me to come to you on the water. Wow. I said that Peter is relatable, but that doesn't mean he's just like me because that is not probably the response I would have, right? What did he not say that would be more likely to come out of my mouth? Lord, please help us row. Lord, since you're walking, could you grab the rope and, and pull the boat along? Lord, I remember not too long ago, you calmed a storm. Could you, could you just take care of this storm, Right? That was in Matthew 8. We're in Matthew 14. So they have seen him calm a storm. And all of those would have been very practical things to ask. I like to think of myself as practical. But Peter, no. Peter has seen something new. He wants it. Peter is not focused on safety. He's focused on power. And not power in a bad way, but he is focused on the power of Jesus. Right? He's not focused on getting out of the storm. He's focused on experiencing what Jesus can do in the storm. Think about that. That's not Peter's focus, to get out of the storm. His focus is to get to Jesus. So this is when what Peter blurts out is profound truth. He asks Jesus to command him to come. I think this is so meaningful. He knows that Jesus' words have authority and power. He has seen him command the wind and the waves to be still. He has seen him command demons to leave. He's seen him command lame people to walk. So he asked Jesus to command him to walk on water. Peter knows if I step out of this boat, there's no walking. That's not what's going to happen. But if Jesus tells me to do it, I can do it. Amazing. He knows that Jesus has the authority to command the impossible, and the, the power in His command can make it happen. You're watching a motocross event. I've never I've never ridden motocross, but I've watched it on TV a few times, right? And you see these guys on motorcycles, just jumping, going around the track, and it, and it looks like they can do no wrong. It looks they have such complete control of the bike, absolute confidence in what they can do, jumping over things, flipping, avoiding, avoiding crashes if somebody's in front of them. It's amazing. It's like they were born with a bike, but they weren't. They were not. There was a time for every one of those guys that knows how to do that when they were just a little boy trying to figure out how to ride a bike, falling over. Can you picture it? Every one of us can picture a, a child trying to b- ride a bike and just tipping over, going slow and falling over in the yard. That's how it is with Peter. He gets on the bike of faith because Jesus told him to. He starts to walk. And I would say, imagine the grin on Peter's face when he took those first few steps on the water. Because he did. He didn't sink immediately. But then he actually thinks about it. Just like a little boy overthinking the bike. You don't learn to ride a bike by analysis. Right? Just like a little boy overthinking the bike, down he goes, boom. But just like the little boy's daddy who reaches out and grabs the seat and holds him up, that's what Jesus does. Here, Peter, you got this. And he's saying, you can do the impossible when you trust me. Let's do this. So we ask for Jesus' command. If Jesus had not commanded it, Peter would not have been able to walk on water. This is not just believing hard enough. It's not having faith in yourself. Peter wanted to do the impossible, but he knew that Jesus needed to command it. Okay? Psalm 127 tells us, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. The things that we approach must be commanded by God. Right? It's not us driving the agenda, and asking God to participate. No, 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 no. We ask God, command us. Tell me what you want me to do. In this case, Peter had an idea. And he said, Jesus, command me to do this. This impossible thing. All of Peter's life, fishing, he could have stepped out of the boat onto the lake, right? But he wouldn't have walked. He asked to be commanded. And I would say expect to fail sometimes, but don't let it stop you. Yes, Peter fell down this time. But later, Peter healed a man by direct command in the name of Jesus. Right? At the gate of the temple, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That's what Peter said to this man. That seems like a different person, but that wasn't that long later. People were healed by falling under his shadow as he walked by. He went from denying Jesus in complete confusion to preaching a full Old Testament-based gospel sermon and seeing thousands saved in seven weeks. Seven weeks from denial to Pentecost. A failure is not the end of your walk in faith. It should be the beginning. Where do you need to trust Jesus with the impossible? Do you have something impossible in your life? you need to trust Him? you need to ask Him? Command me. Command me to take this thing on, whatever it is. It's impossible for me, but command me. Finally, the last, the last verses of our passage are about confession and worship. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, a few chapters before Matthew 8, Jesus had calmed the storm. Matthew says, this is what Matthew recorded in chapter 8 after the calming of the storm. The men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? You see that? The miracle ends in a question. How does this miracle end? Truly, you are the Son of God. They worshipped him. What else could they do? What else could they do? He'd proved who he was. They're now seeing it. They're now seeing they are walking with the Messiah. They're walking with the Son of God. In this case, they're in the boat and he's walking. But it's enough for them to see you are the Son of God. And this is what our, our hearts should do. We should just turn and worship as we see who he is and what he does. So if the musicians want to come up, I have a few more words of of conclusion. Now, what we've seen in this brief passage that tells us so much. Take time for prayer and quiet time to listen to God. If it's important enough for Jesus to take time away from healing, it's important enough for you to pause from your much smaller priorities and learn to want it, not just treat it as duty. Sometimes Jesus delivers us into trouble so that we can build our trust that He will deliver us out of trouble. Don't be surprised to find yourself in trouble, even when you think you've been obedient. It may not be correction or punishment, but a test. The exam after the lesson. And like other tests in Scripture, it isn't for God to find out how much faith you have. It's for you. So trust Him in trouble. Call on Him to deliver. Be like Peter. Ask Jesus to command you to do the impossible thing. What's, what impossible thing are you facing? Ask for His command. Because His command comes with power. And what is our reasonable response to this great God and Savior? Worship and surrender. If you don't know Jesus, come and talk to Brother Kevin or me. Meet Him. Trust and worship Him. But if you do, then let's join in worship together in response. Amen.